from NJ.com. This is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. What's going on, everybody? Zach Rosenblatt here with, for the latest episode of the Talk is Cheap podcast. I'm here at Daryl Slater. Uh, sorry, we got this one to you later in the week. We're having some technical difficulties, but I think ultimately it's probably good that we waited because it was a pretty hectic week in Giants land. Um, just to recap real quick, uh, and we'll kind of like dive into these topics a little bit. But So last Friday, there was um, some videos that surfaced of Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley and a few other players who were out and about in New York City, not wearing masks, um, which obviously caused a firestorm of sorts. And then over the last couple of days, um, they had Will Hernandez test positive for COVID-19, as I'm sure you guys are aware at this point. And it forced them to send home almost all of their offensive line yesterday, Thursday. And now those players are back other than Will Hernandez, but that's still like obviously an important topic to talk about. And then on top of that, they lost a game to the Eagles that they were winning 21 to 10 in the, in the fourth quarter. So it's kind of a typical Giants week for any other team. It would be crazy, I guess. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> their first instant instance of COVID-19 with Will Hernandez here and, uh, but they've really not had any issues with, with the virus so far, but um, obviously now two things in the past week related to either how, how guys are handling themselves during the pandemic or, you know, an unfortunate case of, of one of their players contracting the virus. So, uh, and they're one in six. <laughs> On top of that. Well, and I, mean, I forgot to mention, they traded away Marcus Golden for a sixth round pick. Yeah, that, that really got lost in the shuffle. I yeah, mean, it feels like it feels like ages ago, but he played in their last game. <laughs> yeah, that's and the trade deadline's coming up Tuesday, and they could be uh, could have a little more action yeah. before the trade. So, deadline. so as you can see, we have a lot to talk about. Um, but I guess we we can start. I guess we can go in order. Uh, we we can start with that Marcus Golden trade. I guess. Um, it, I, I, we we both kind of thought it was the first sign that they were going to be like pretty much selling off parts. Um, it, based on the fact that they haven't done anything still in the deadlines on Tuesday, like, I don't get the sense they're going to be full on sellers. Maybe they trade away another player, maybe two at most. Um, but the, the Marcus Golden trade, like he, they weren't playing him much even after they lost Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane, uh, to injured reserve. Uh, he went back to the Cardinals, a team he played for before. It's, I mean, he's a, he's a guy that's really well liked in the locker room and stuff. And I'm sure that he, he might've even asked to go there for all I know, but that, that didn't necessarily surprise me as much as I thought it was going to portend like more moves and it just hasn't yet i think one of the things you got to consider here is you know the giants potentially if they're trying to trade you know hypothetically in evan ingram or really more so a golden tate like if you want to move golden tate who wants him i mean the guy yeah. is not he's not very good he's 32 years old and he doesn't have a small salary this year um so i think there and there are certainly other con, you know contract details like injury guarantees and those sort of things with with that's why you look at lady on bell the jets weren't able to move him and one of the reasons was if a team traded for him and he got hurt his, his money was guaranteed for injury for next year so yeah. there are those little details that you kind of have to consider but uh, really more so than anything golden Tate's not a very good player right now in his <laughs> career and he's old uh, so f that's him, for instance. Yeah. Um, and then uh, certainly there's other guys that the Giants could hypothetically move. Maybe they don't want to move Evan Ingram and they think that they can get something out of him here and, and maybe let him play out his contract on the fifth year option next year because you know, the option figure is not 
enormous for him. I think it's six million dollars or something like that. Yeah, so he's tradable next year too, in theory. Yeah, they could tra- they could trade him. They could trade him next offseason before the draft. Hope his value increases because right now he, his value is as low as it's ever been, except for yep. the times when he's been injured, which is a lot. So uh, <laughs> he's not playing well. So <laughs> maybe the smart move is to wait and see uh, if you are going to trade him. Yeah, I mean, in the name that's kind of picked up steam since we last talked, which. I didn't really fully consider just because I think they have so many problems on the offensive line. So I'm not sure trading your best offensive lineman is a good idea, but Kevin Zeitler is a name that's kind of been rumored and, and tossed around as a guy, you know, there's a lot of te- good teams that need offensive linemen. I mean, if you watch the bears in prime time the other day, they clearly do. I mean, the chiefs have some needs on the offense. Like there's some good teams that need it and Zeitler is a pro. Um, but then this COVID test with Will Hernandez happens and all of a sudden they have four offensive linemen yesterday and Zeitler is the only starter that's available. Um, and Will Hernandez is not going to be playing on on a Monday night, it looks like, uh, just based on the protocol. So then you have Shane Lemieux starting as a rookie, and he, in theory, was going to replace Zeitler if they trade him. So now they can't really trade Zeitler until at least after the Monday night game, which doesn't really give them much time between Monday and Tuesday. And you're also kind of risking him getting hurt on Monday. So like my, my money would be on him not getting dealt at this point, which honestly, I unless you're getting like a fourth-round pick, I guess, like I, I wouldn't really do You want Daniel Jones to survive the season so you can see what he can do. And if Shane Lemieux, who I think maybe has a future, but he's also a fifth-round pick for a reason who hasn't played at all, like you're, you're not really as comfortable with that. So I, I, I imagine Zeitler is not going anywhere at this point. No, and you got to also remember that you know there's no telling how long Will Hernandez is going to be sidelined yeah. for. Yeah, it's if not, he has symptoms, he has to be out for at least ten days, I think. Yeah, and it's not just uh, necessarily one game, even though certain guys have been fortunate with this thing and only missed one game. Um, but it, it absolutely could be longer. And uh, obviously, hopefully this doesn't affect him too much, you know, physically uh, just from a human standpoint, but this, this thing, you know, you, it's unpredictable. So you never know. I mean, yep. he, he could be, you know, he could, he could get pretty hit pretty hard by this and could miss um, a bunch of games. So, you know, Kevin Zeitler's salary this season, $10 million. Um does the team want to pick that up in terms of the proration of it, about half of it for the rest of the year? The Giants would probably love to be able, from a salary cap standpoint, yeah. to move him because it would free up a ton of space that they could roll over to next year in addition to the space they'll free up next year also. So um, he's certainly a guy who could get cut uh, or, or traded. Uh, I Probably not traded after the season because his salary is $12 million next year and his cap number is 14.5. So do you want to keep at you want to keep him around at a lower cap at a, a cap number like that when the cap when the team cap is down to like 176 uh, next year? That's something the Giants will have to figure out next year uh, offseason with probably a new GM. So right now though, for all those reasons, I don't I don't see him going anywhere. You got to keep your quarterback upright if you want him to even be healthy enough to evaluate, let alone give him a fair evaluation. I would say so. Since we're just talking about the trade deadline stuff, anyway, we might as well keep going with this. Um, one guy who I think they actually should explore trading, uh, and some have pushed back on this, is Dalvin Tomlinson. He he's he's probably one of their best play. I mean, he definitely is one of their best players. He's really valued in the locker room, but he's not making much money this year, and he's about to hit free agency. And players like him tend to make in like the twelve to fourteen million dollar year range. So the Giants pretty much have to decide they're not they're probably not going to be able to keep both him and Leonard Williams at this point. So you have to decide which of those two you like. And I think Leonard Williams brings more of like a pass rush ability and they don't really have pass rushers and they've invested so much in making Leonard Williams a thing that I imagine that he's kind of the priority for them. I mean, they're paying him $16 million this year, which is way too much, but that kind of shows you how they feel about him. So if, if you're not going to resign Tomlinson and the best you're going to do is get a 
fourth round compensatory pick next year, like the year after, maybe. I say you go and do it now and you try and get draft picks now because it's better. Like the, the whole idea, teams, there's some teams that do this where they aim for the compensatory picks, but you're you're getting a rookie who doesn't come for an additional year and then rookies usually aren't ready to play right away. So you're kind of like pushing the clock back. So I say, see what we can get from Tomlinson now, a contender that needs a defensive tackle like the Bills or something like that. And I would explore his, it doesn't seem like they are, but he's a guy that I would, I would be shopping around right now. Sure. Uh, yeah. And he's young too, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. He's on his rookie contract last year. It was a rookie deal. He doesn't have the fifth year option and play for next year. And his salary, you kind of alluded to it, uh, basically a million dollar salary. So they'd free up half of that. that They could roll over to next year. But the, the, as I wrote in a trade slash salary cap thing this week, the, the, the reward here would be the pick. Um, that you're going to get back. And yeah, you could play the waiting game, like you said, with a comp pick for 2022. But by that point, you know, you want to be able to try to do something when your quarterback is on his rookie contract, presuming yeah. he can be a competent quarterback. That That's the caveat there, of course. Yeah, so. well, and if they believe he can be, then you, you should be pl- planning as if, like, these are the years you capitalize on. Sure. Money so, Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe get the comp pick, um, and maybe just say forget the comp pick and try to get a pick now, like you said. So it depends on what they could get for him, obviously, because he is going to be a half year rental player, and a team would have to figure out, okay, does he, does he factor into our plan? So you you obviously would be looking at a team that's trying to win now and win immediately, um, and make a push this year um, that has a needed defensive tackle. So um, it's not a big uh, salary cap cumbersome number for a team to take on for sure. All right. And so on the flip side of this, there was a kind of like a rumor that came about ESPN's Jordan Renan said something on his podcast about how like the Giants apparently had discussions about trading for Kenny Galladay which angered quite a few Giants fans and I, I mean it's understandable it would basically would almost be the same situation they dealt with last year with Leonard Williams they would be giving up draft picks in a year they're not competing um and Kenny Galladay is about to be free agent like the the, the idea of trading for him is that they're finally getting Daniel Jones number one receiver he's a really good player he's young they could grow together but also, it's another guy that can just go and sign this offseason if they really wanted to. I, I don't see that actually happening, but the fact that they're letting Dave Gettleman up, approach that is alarming. <laughs> like, even even making that call is alarming to me unless they wanted to do a player swap. Like, unless you're trading, like, Leonard Williams for him, I guess. Like, I don't really know how that would look, so. Right, that would be a terrible deal if you're sending a pick. Um, yeah. if, you get, if you're getting rid of a player and you're moving off some cap space, um, like maybe uh, Tate or Leonard Williams or something like that, then maybe that makes sense. Um, you know, Tate can still give you something, but he's not a number one receiver. And I was, we're doing a story for next week on the issues of the Giants offense. And I was talking to a former NFL player about this uh, the, the, earlier today, actually. And the, he was saying, yeah, the Giants, and this is obvious, I mean, they don't have anyone who could take the top off of defense. They don't have anyone who scares anybody defensively as, as a deep threat. And that's that's an issue. That's what they have to go get. And that's why it's kind of insane that Dave Gettleman didn't draft a single receiver this year. So, yeah, um, given given the depth of this receiver group. So in this draft class. So, yeah, I think that, you know, trading for Kenny Galladay right now, well, just wait, you know, just wait till next year. It's not like he's going to all of a sudden be the guy. Yeah. who makes the difference for Daniel Jones. And, oh, wow, now we can get a fair evaluation of him. No, your line is bad. <laughs> your line is bad, and that's going to be the thing that's going to – And the line is still going to be bad after you get a wide receiver. So. Right, it's, and he's not going to make that much of a difference. So maybe if there's a if it gives the Giants an opportunity to offload some cap space and then when you turn it out in the wash that they can roll over some 
some uh, cap savings to next year. Um, maybe something like that could make sense, but certainly not giving up a pick. That would be insane because they only, at this point, still only have six picks, and that's after the Marcus Golden trade where they added a six-round pick. So um, because of the Leonard Williams trade and and because of the Isaac Adam trade, uh, really more so the Leonard Williams trade, uh, they they don't have uh, the fifth-round pick for next year for, for Williams, and they gave up the third-rounder, of course, in 2020, which we've been through it a million times. It's a terrible trade. <laughs> Yeah, we don't need to rehash that one again. Um, but yeah, we, the the idea is they shouldn't do make that mistake twice, um, is what I would say. Um, all right, we can let's transition back to some of the other stuff we we're talking about. I, I think we don't need to dwell on this too much because there's obviously been we've written a lot about it and there's been a lot said and written about it. But the whole Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, Sterling Shepard out out about in town. Um, I've seen a lot of fans kind of pushing back on the coverage of it. We're not the only ones covering it, by the way. Um, but I, I think. The, the the disconnect I think seems to be it's not like we we understand the idea that these guys should be able to go out and have dinner or whatever but they also are there also are rules that the NFL has put in place for COVID so the season can keep going on and by all by all accounts they weren't wearing a mask that night out uh, there were people that were not Giants players that were among them and um, they haven't really explained what happened or why that was the case. So all, all we can do is say that they did something wrong until they tell us otherwise. Like that, that's kind of been our main takeaway, right? Yeah. I mean, look, the optics are bad. And, and yeah. the bottom line is a couple things here. Obviously they were out uh, among um, a giant, you know, non-giants players and they, uh, the, not, not those people weren't wearing masks. And then, and Daniel Jones was in on a video, not wearing a mask. And uh, in a photo, not wearing a mask and all of this happening inside. So yeah, I mean, the optics look bad and they haven't, they haven't cleared them up um, to say otherwise. So the, the, here's the thing. NFL players are living by different rules than most of us. Yeah. The stakes are higher for these guys. They're million dollar assets in a billion dollar business that has basically told its employees the, the, the livelihood of this business and the revenue stream of this business and your potential earnings in this business depend on you behaving to a higher level of responsibility during a pandemic than is the case for the average citizen. So, I mean, the stakes are higher. You know, I understand that, you know, people are going to say, oh, you know, they're young and they, nothing, nothing if, they, if they don't get the virus, they, if they get the virus, they'll be fine, blah, blah, blah. They're tested all the time. Okay, fine. But, you know, the, the, if too many of these guys are unavailable to play in these games, games get moved, games canceled, dominoes fall, season could potentially be significantly affected here. So the players understand that most of them, I would think, that they have a responsibility to not just themselves, but to their teammates and other guys in the league to help keep this whole season afloat during a pandemic. And um, really, that's that's what this all comes back to. And, um, you know, no one's saying Will Hernandez did anything wrong or irresponsible to, to – to contract COVID-19 and uh, no one's saying necessarily that, that, that his uh, infection is related to the night out Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley have, you know, we can't make that connection yet. But if you just look at what happened with Jones in a vacuum and, and Barkley, I think, you know, this should be kind of a wake up call. Um, and no one, no one is saying either that this is a criminal thing that they did. It was just a oh, foolish yeah. mistake. And I think that the, the the objection here, you know, more so than than even um, what they did is, you know, Daniel Jones talked to us yesterday on Thursday and really showed no legitimate remorse for what he did. Um, he said he should have been wearing a mask. He offered one sentence of bare minimum uh, regret. 
for, for what he did. He didn't offer to explain anything. You know, if he understood the stakes of what happened, he certainly didn't show it. I mean, he hid behind the kind really tired excuse of, you know, the coach talked about it and he sounded like a brainwashed college freshman. He really did. And, and again, it, it wasn't a criminal thing that he did. He's been a totally fine guy by all accounts off the field. Um, but it just would have it probably would have been nice to, you know, it would definitely would have been nice to hear him show a little bit more legitimate accountability here. The bottom line is the guy's going to be judged on whether he's a good player on the field or not. So, no, we're not making too big of a deal of it. We, you know, it's not like we're writing 300 stories about this. But the point needed to needs to be made that um, this is the face of the franchise who who really wasn't acting like it yesterday, quite honestly, with with the lack of accountability that he that he showed when he when he talked to us. And it, would Joe Judge have punished him if he came out and said something where he showed a little bit more thoughtful remorse than he actually did? Of course not. Would he have, would Joe Judge have punished him if he said yes? I was hypothetically yes. I was fined. $5,000. Yeah, Joe Judge would be mad if he, if he revealed that. But not if he came out and, and offered a few more, you know, lead by example, uh, thoughtful thoughts on just why what he did was wrong and why how he kind of understands, hey, that was a slip up or whatever. So no one's yeah. grudging these guys going out in a safe way and having dinner, but it sure looks like it wasn't uh, conducted in, in, a, in at least a completely uh, safe manner. I mean, you can, he doesn't even need to go too deep. He could have just been like, you know, I don't really want to talk about this too much, but, and I understand the questions, but you know, I, I, I need to be more careful about what I do. I'm in the public eye, blah, blah, blah. Like, so like they had, like he's compared his, his persona is compared to Eli Manning uh, so much for obvious reasons, but I, I think Eli would have been in front of this way more than Daniel did. Um, Anyway, I, I, we don't need to dwell on this too much, I guess. I, I think you covered everything we kind of both feel about the situation. Um, I am curious, though, to see how Joe Judge handles this, handles this on Monday. Because, I mean, he kind of set a standard when he when he benched Andrew Thomas for being late to a meeting. I, I would say this qualifies as a worse transgression than that. Um, maybe not in Joe's eyes. I, I don't get the sense that they will be punished, to be honest with you, and, and besides things that happen internally. But he should be benched for a quarter or, you know, a, a series or something like there needs to be something to, to show that these guys made a mistake. But yeah, I mean, I think that reading between the lines of what Joe Judd said this week, um, you know, he talked about guys who are trying to do the right thing with going out in a group, blah, 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 and keeping their group tight. But again, they weren't because they were with friends. I'm pretty sure like a 20 something year old woman doesn't play for the giants. And she was in one of those videos. <laughs> so I get it. He's young. He wants to go have a good time. I totally understand. You know, he's got friends outside the giants. Absolutely. There's absolutely safe ways where you can see those people in an outdoor setting with masks on or whatever. What, what happened in that video in that moment where he was, you know, drinking with the lady there, um, you know, wasn't, wasn't up to the standards of what an NFL play, how the NFL, an NFL player should be conducting himself in, during the middle of a pandemic. So, but you, you, you hear, you know, the way Joe judge kind of couched it all. I, yeah, I agree. There, none of these guys are getting benched, even though Jones should probably sit for, uh, just sit him for a series. You know, yeah. if you want to paint yourself as his disciplinary and head coach to action, to have consequences. And how many times have we heard him say that actions have consequences? Um, well, I'm sure there. I'm sure there were some consequences here. I'm sure that there was a small fine or something like that. But um, if if you're going to do that with with uh, Andrew Thomas, then like you said, I don't see why that it would be a, a problem to do it again here. Yep. 
Um, so we, we can use this. You kind of alluded to this earlier. We can use this to jump back to the Will Hernandez talk. You know, this that like the Will Hernandez testing positive. Like we said, we have no idea if they're connected. It's possible they're not, if not probable. But it should be like an eye-opening thing. And, and so now the Giants are going to be without their left guard on Monday night um, and possibly beyond that. And and this is they're going to be going against a Buccaneers defensive front that has the second-best pass rush in the NFL. Um, you still have Andrew Thomas, who's struggling quite a bit. Um, you, so you have Shane Lemieux, who's probably going to start. You have you know Cam Fleming, who's pretty inconsistent. And then you have Zeitler, who's been their only guy who's been like even average consistently this year. Um, I guess what's your level of concern of – I mean, it's not like Will Hernandez is – you know, an all pro by any stretch, but how concerned are you that they don't have him on Monday night? Well, I mean, they, they should be really concerned because Shane Lemieux is a guy who's played two snaps all year. Two snaps. He, on he all played fullback in both snaps. What's that? He played a fullback in both snaps too. So That's good perspective, yeah. So he played yeah. one snap in, against the Rams and one snap against the Cowboys. And like you said, he was in there kind of as an extra non-offensive lineman style blocker which I didn't realize. So fifth round pick this year, obviously a, a guy who is not ready to be a starter in the NFL and is being thrust into it against uh, a pass rush that you, you said they were second, I guess that's DVOA wise. But if you look at the, the uh, PFF patch rush, they're, they're fourth right now, the Bucks are and, and the Eagles who the giants just played in that game in Philly, uh, which seems like forever ago, the <laughs> Eagles are, uh, are uh, third. So yeah, not not the ideal situation to be making your to making your NFL starting debut. So um, that should be very concerning for the Giants. Yeah, and you know another thing that you know we've talked about on it seems like almost every week is that Andrew Thomas does not seem to be getting any better. Um, I will say, like you so said, we talked to Mark Colombo once a month. We talked to all the position coaches once a month, and I really appreciate talking to Mark because he's like. More than a lot of coaches on the staff, including the head coach, he's pretty like open about things that need to improve, things that are going well. He's like pretty honest, and he like really just like breaks down what's wrong with a guy. And and he's been like honest about how Andrew Thomas, like things that he's doing in practice, are not translating to the game. Um, he's inconsistent. A lot of the same mistakes he keeps making. That he they remain confident in him. And when Mark Lumbo says that, I actually do believe him as. You know, you never know if coaches are saying coach, but he, he does believe Andrew can get better. But the fact that Andrew hasn't gotten any better to this point, like has kind of like spurred the discussion of whether Matt Pert should be starting instead of him. doesn't sound like they're going to be benching him anytime soon. But, you know, I mean, we, we brought this up. We wrote that long story a couple weeks ago about the level of concern people have around the league about this guy. Um, and the fact that like guys like Mekhi Becton and Tristan Wirfs and Dredrick Wills are all playing so well. And Andrew Thomas has has given up 37 total pressures, I think, this year, which leads the NFL. Like, it, that's it's going to be. This is part of why it's so hard to evaluate Daniel Jones because when you have your left tackle, it's just been so brutal. Like, what else can the guy do? Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a major issue for the Giants, obviously, the Thomas, and then the offensive line as a whole. So um, now they're down a Pete, another experienced piece and Will Hernandez, with Will Hernandez being out on Monday. And I just don't see any way that this goes well for Andrew Thomas because the, the Bucks are going to go right at him. Um, and they have, you know, experienced pass rushers like Jason Pierre Paul. And I, yeah, I mean, this is another, this is going to be another time here where Thomas is thrown into the fire. And uh, there are a couple reasons why, you know, the Giants can't be a big, big play offense right now. And one of them is that they don't have a receiver who, who's good enough or fast enough to get open deep. 
Um, and the other one is they can't protect Daniel Jones for any decent period of time. Um, so th- that's not really in-depth football analysis, but um, the, the line continues to be a problem. And I think that, look, I, I, yeah, I mean, just I don't see why you would necessarily just quit on Andrew Thomas right now. Let, let him work through this. I mean, any fair, reasonable person could acknowledge that he has not lived up to his draft status so far, but also it's early. So let him work through it. Uh, see what happens and and maybe Matt Pert won't wouldn't be any better anyway that I think we've talked about this a few times the switch to make would be to to put Cam Fleming on the bench if you want to play both of your young guys but yeah. I think maybe the Giants coaching staff and Mark Colombo look at that and, and see that as a potentially dangerous situation for their quarterback especially now with Hernandez out so there's only so much tinkering and planning for the future you can do because that all sounds fine in the in 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 a vacuum but it really does affect so many other parts of the offense and potentially your quarterback's health yeah um this this discussion made me want to talk about something we both kind of wrote about early this week um because jason pierre paul like you mentioned is going to be a guy that they have to block this week and he's still just as good as he was it seems like in his prime with the giants he has five and a half sacks and seven games or whatever it is um so you, you wrote all the trades that Dave Gettleman has made and the varying degrees of how bad they were. I specifically focused on Pierre Paul because he's coming back to MetLife. Second time coming back. But like it, it kind of what like everybody thinks about the Odell Beckham trade as the worst one. And it, and it is like on paper, but like everything that happened after the Pierre Paul trade, it happened like as a result of Gettleman doing that trade. And it almost is like the start of where everything went wrong. Like in, and at the time, I think people understood the trade. They were trading him away. You know, he had a huge contract. It was going to save them money in 2019 and 2020. He hadn't played as well since his fireworks accident. They were going to a 3-4 defense, and they didn't think he was a fit. Um, they wanted money so they could re-sign Odell Beckham and Landon Collins. They had just traded draft picks for Alec Ogletree, so they wanted to get more draft picks. Um, they were paying uh, Olivier Vernon a lot, and there was, like, a expectation that they would draft someone like Bradley Chubb to, like, fill the spot that was vacated by Jason Pierre-Paul. And then everything – after that point did not go that way. You know, they, Jason Pierre-Paul went to a three, four defense and has thrived. Beckham was signed. And then Dave Gettleman said he wouldn't be traded. And then he traded him. Landon Collins left as a free agent when they could have got picks. Al Ogletree was a disaster. They didn't draft Bradley Chubb and they've spent that money on golden guys like golden Tate and Kareem Martin was signed to replace Pierre-Paul. Like it's just been an unmitigated disaster. And I, I almost didn't realize how, how how much like that trade in particular kind of led to everything until I started researching it. It's an interesting domino effect, isn't it? I mean, one of the first big moves that Dave Gettleman makes and all the ripple effects that it had. And, and, and when it comes out in the wash, oh, you got Dexter Lawrence out of the Odell Beckham trade. And, okay, well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that your, that's your one plus out of all that. And it's not, you know, and that there's so many negative things that came out of the Pierre Paul trade, as you said. The intentions were good, and I get it. Um, but I this is this is the this is the problem I have with people who are saying, you know, yeah, they 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 should have traded guys like Damon Harrison and and Pierre Paul. You know, they got cap relief. Okay, fine. You know, maybe they didn't think those guys could fit, and maybe Harrison was at, at the end of his career in terms of production, and 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 certainly the contracts were large. And okay, but but what do you do with the cap relief? Nothing. They they didn't do anything productive with it. What do you do with, with the draft picks? Nothing. They rolled over the Damon Harrison and Eli uh, Apple picks uh, to trade up for DeAndre Baker. And it was a disaster. And, and, and no- the picks they got in the Pierre Paul trade, they used on B.J. Hill and Kyle Lalletta. Right. B.J. Hill and Kyle Lalletta. And 
Um, and so, yeah, I mean, they, they, they have not, Dave Gettleman didn't put what he got in. There's nothing wrong with making a trade and having the guy go elsewhere and play. Better. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with getting, making a trade just for uh, cap relief. If you're rebuilding, even if the guy can still help you a little bit, but he's not worth his contract, but you have to be able to do something productive with what you get out of that trade, whether it's cap relief, whether it's uh, picks and usually a rebuilding team, you know, you're looking at picks. I did, and then people say, I, no one could have predicted that DeAndre Baker would have done. Of course not. No one could have predicted that he would, but it happened, yeah. would have allegedly committed armed robbery, but he did have red flags about maturity. So, you know, you parlay all those maturity issues into, you know, uh, whatever led him to do that um, in the, yeah. Yeah. He had never committed armed robbery in his life before, but, but he was like, what, 20 years old. When was he going to do it when he was like 11, you know? like <laughs> it, So maybe, you know, this guy, he, he, he was, a, he had a maturity problem and yeah, just because he had never, you know, murdered someone before or whatever, done something truly insane. Doesn't mean that he wasn't of, you know, of, of questionable character. And, and there's a lot of people that question his character. So I don't buy that. Who could have seen it coming? Of course, no one could have seen this specific thing coming, but also the guy was terrible last year on the field. Terrible. Yep. Okay. You know, he didn't, he didn't stick up any poker games allegedly last year, but he was <laughs> terrible. If he played this year, honestly, he's kind of out of sight, out of mind right now, really. And the giants cut him. But if he played last year, think about how much more criticism Dave Gettleman would be getting for that. People have just kind of forgotten about DeAndre Baker, at least like kind of some of the. Yeah, I know it is kind of crazy how it faded. So because it was the yeah. topic every week almost, whenever yeah, I mean, their lawyers would say some something. Some of the kind of truly like you know blue and red colored glasses types have have really for, forgotten about um, DeAndre Baker. But if he was playing right now and he was in the public, you know, on the field and struggling, believe believe it that he that this would be a, a bigger topic in terms of oh man. Dave Gettleman turned the Damon Harrison picks and the Eli Apple picks into this. And um, really it's, it's remarkable. The, the trade deadline here, if, as you look at it, you wrote an interesting piece. Like we were talking about on PR Paul and I did a, a kind of a broader piece on how little Dave Gettleman has gotten out of all of these trades, despite his best intentions. Um, you can have great intentions, but you have to, you have to be able to, to do something competent. And he has. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, again, I got some pushback from, I think generally people agreed uh, like, like reading it, they were like, this hurts my eyes, but there were some who were like, you know, just reading the headline or whatever. And are like, it, like they were going to trade Pierre Paul. He wasn't that good back then. Blah, blah. And yeah, that's fine. The trade itself was fine, but it's about what you did with the assets after you traded him on top of him being a good player when he left. So, you know, like in 2019, um, cause that's where like the bulk of the cap space came from trading him. Cause they incurred a pretty big dead cap hit when they did trade him at the time. But they used that money in 2019 on Golden Tate, Anton Bethay, Marcus Golden, who played well for a year and then is gone already, and Mike Remmers. And only Tate is left, and he's probably the biggest disaster of all of them. So, like, Gettleman, you know, and he does things in theory that, like, should lead to something good, but his his evaluation is just so off and so, like, old-minded. Um, not even old school, because I don't even think that's the right way of saying it. He's just, like, so far behind the times it seems like in the way he chooses players that it's kind of why they're in this mess they're in now and you know I've even seen players that, who I mean people who keep pointing out that he inherited a mess or something and you know it certainly was not a good team that he inherited but you know they had Landon Collins they had Odo Beckham they had you know top draft picks coming up they had Damon Harrison they had Jason Pierre-Paul they had you know all these guys 
Uh, obviously, they were not a contender, and they shouldn't have tried to be a contender, but he also did the thing where he wanted to rebuild while also competing. So that's kind of why they are where they are right now. Well, yeah, I mean, such a silly argument to say new GM inherited a mess. Of course he did. Yeah, otherwise, the, the other GM wouldn't have been fired. Yeah. Unless the previous GM, you know, got hit For by sure. a boss. The guy, there's, yeah. a reason, there's a reason there's a vacancy. You know, like the team stunk. That's why. I mean, that's why you fire your coach and GM. So every GM that comes in inherits a mess. You know what I mean? To some degree or another. And uh, anyone could have made these cuts or these trades, right? I mean, it, to trade Damon Harrison, you pick up the phone and say, oh yeah, sure. I'll trade him. Fine. Team trades him. Okay. You and I could have done that. We saw it's obvious that he needed to go. The tougher part for a GM is making something out of a third round pick uh, more than BJ Hill, out of a fourth round pick more than Kyle Aletta out of a fifth and a fourth round pick more than parlaying that into trading up for a cornerback who has a questionable character. Um, and yeah, so that, that, that's, that's what he's gotten in these trades. And I'm just looking again at the, at the, at the trade rundown that we did here um, that earlier this week. And um, it's just, it's crazy to read. And most people kind of did say, man, it's crazy to see all this in one place. And, and others, I, I, I don't get it. Like there's so much, there's always going to be the what about ism, I guess, but what about the cap space? Okay. Let's yeah. talk about the cap space. He didn't do anything with that either. So he Nate Solder, that's what he did at the cap space. He what? He paid Nate Solder. That's what he did with the Nate Solder. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and that certainly didn't help the problem. In fact, it made the problem worse because now they're stuck with Nate Solder for another year. Um, yeah. so I mean, this next GM has a lot on his plate in terms of rebuilding an offense that was so poorly built from, you know, linemen who, you know, and he bragged about, you know, rebuilding this line and it's been a mess so far. Uh, and all the way out to the fact that you don't have anyone on the edge who can, uh, 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 on the outside of your offense, who can take the top off a of defense. And then does your quarterback have it? That's still a question. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> so that's a lot to, a lot to dig into there. And we'll have a story on Monday, kind of a big picture story about the state of the giants offense, but um, but yeah, I don't know where we started with that, but that's sort of where we wind up. <laughs> we always seem to wind up back talking about Dave Gettleman by the end of these episodes. It's just Shoot. so hard. I mean, it's, it's big picture stuff is really the only thing we're talking about this team. Like no one cares about the matchups for this game on Monday night is yeah. Cameron. Yeah, like, yeah, like if the Giants were lost. a competitive team, we would be maybe even looking at specific matchups in these games, but what, like, what's the point? Right, exactly. I think all these games, especially, do not this, especially not this game on Monday, where I don't think the Giants have an edge almost anywhere. So all the games do is serve as another reminder each week of where their shortcomings are, or yeah. or maybe um, you know maybe Daniel Jones makes some progress here or there, or where where he needs to grow, and it's always the same areas, you know, where, where he needs to grow. Um, so maybe maybe he can take a step forward on Monday night. Todd Bowles is a really good defensive coordinator, um, but it's just hard to, hard to see this team getting a lot of answers about Daniel Jones just because of all the other question marks that, that are surrounding him and how big those question marks are. I mean, a big way he can put a lot of those to rest is if he goes out and has a good game against a team considered a Super Bowl contender. No I doubt. I, yeah. I mean, I suppose it's not outside the realm of possibility, but it's a, it's a big challenge from the personnel on this Bucks defense to, to Todd Bowles that over there, who obviously wasn't a good head coach for the Jets, but has proven time and again that he's he's a pretty darn good defensive coordinator, especially when he has you know decent to very good personnel, which he, he obviously didn't have with the Jets, and that wasn't his uh, job to get the personnel. So, um, I you know I think yeah I don't think Bowles, Todd Bowles should ever be a head coach again, but uh, 
I think I've seen people say that, but he he wasn't a good head coach, but he, he's a really good defense coordinator and that's fine. You know, you can, you can make quite a career doing that. And, and, and he's doing a nice job for a team that might win, might win the Super Bowl this year. So that would be, that would be uh, obviously a great thing for him to, you know, go down to work with his mentor, Bruce Arians and, and win a Super Bowl. And Bruce has never won a Super Bowl either. Right. As a head coach. So. Yeah. Not as a head coach. No. Um, but yeah, like it's crazy to think that it was a year ago that Jones made his debut against the Buccaneers. Their yeah. defense was really bad last year. He had that amazing game. He had like four total touchdowns over 300 yards. And you just kind of look at where he's at now. And like he hasn't had a game that looks like that since the end of last year, maybe against the Redskins or against Washington football team. Sorry. Um, you, 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 I did it again. Person. I did it again. I'm terrible. Yeah. Um, but like he had so season high this year was 279 yards. That was in week one. He only has five touchdowns total. Um, he's turned the ball over every game at least once. Uh, and if he turns over to go over against the Buccaneers, it's done. So like, he needs to be, he needs to have the best game of his career on Monday for this day. For, sure. And I think that's a pretty low bar considering how he's played <laughs> really yeah. since his first start because he hasn't had a lot of very good games. So, uh, and you got to remember too that he, he led the, uh, the comeback in that game and they, they really should have lost the game, but the Bucks missed that field goal at the end. <laughs> Um, but yeah. he, he, he led that two minute drill at the end of the game and, and helped, uh, help them win the game. And the fact that the Bucks missed the field goal, uh, also helped bail out the, the defense collapsing there. But, um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of things that you look at Daniel Jones and uh, kind of alluding to one of the, a former player I was talking to earlier today for, for the story for Monday, talking about some of the issues of Daniel Jones and he really said he, he I'll kind of touch on one big thing that he mentioned that I can recall off the top of my head without looking at, at my notes from the conversation. But he said that, and I think this would probably be obvious to folks that watch with a keen eye is that when, when defenses make Daniel Jones have to reset his feet, he's a mess and he has no plan for when the pressure comes and he has to reset his feet. Uh, he basically holds the ball too long is essentially what this player was saying. And so he's going to be late on his throws in those situations. And when you're late on your throws, especially over the middle of the field, you're asking to have turnovers. I mean, setting aside even, even the fumbling issues and ball security issues, um, that that's a major concern that Daniel Jones uh, is essentially, uh, you know, like a lot of young quarterbacks, really bothered by pressure in the pocket in terms of when he has to even reset his feet, not just when he's hit while he throws. So uh, the issue of course, with that is that the giants can't pass protect to save their lives. And so this, this player was saying, if I was a D line coach that I would just tell my guys, you know, just charge up ahead, make him reset his feet. And, and uh, even if you just get a hand up, um, this kid's going to basically make a poor decision. He's going to hold the ball too long and be late on his throw rather than be a little more decisive, dump the ball back down to a check down and make something out of the play. Instead, um, basically he's going to panic because he has no plan in the pocket. So that is a significant issue, obviously, that needs to be corrected. Yep. Um, we can wrap up on that. I'll, I'll just point out how what our picks were this week. I had the Buccaneers 27-13. to 13. You have the Buccaneers twenty-seven to seven. I think everybody on our staff has the Bucks winning. I think one person had it as a close game, which would be maybe the best accomplishment of Joe Judge's early career if they kept it even close. Uh, so we said, I mean, it, so it, like it, it would be pretty fitting for this franchise if everybody's just assuming they're they're terrible and they go and beat Tom Brady again. But I I, I just don't see that happening. <laughs> yeah, and a little bit different than the Super Bowl. Yes. You know, when they were able to, when they had that defensive line that was able to move Brady. Uh, <laughs> in in the pocket, and they had a, an offensive line that was certainly much better than their current offensive line. 
Um, so a little bit different than that. Um, yeah. and I, don't, I don't think Tom Brady's thinking about those teams or that game one bit here as he as he comes to MetLife Stadium on Monday night for a game that looks like for now it looks like uh, we didn't even touch on this because it seems obvious at this point. It looks like game's going to happen as scheduled, even even with the uh, coronavirus situation. So um, just Will Hernandez will be out. It looks like Giants will have everybody else, and the game will go on uh, as scheduled. Yep. Um, all right, we can wrap up on that note. As always, guys, make sure you're subscribed. We're on all the major podcast apps. Um, subscribe to our text messaging service, uh, ng.com slash text. And uh, we'll get you guys next week. It'll be earlier in the week, and maybe the Giants will have played well for once. All right, have a good one, guys. Thank you.